Welcome to Work It, a show about work. This is a work of satire containing mature themes. Pour le service en français, appuyez sur le 1. For writer and performer Sam Alamang, please press 2. For writer and performer Janet Mowat, please press 3. For a measured and insightful discussion of this option is unavailable. For a brand new season of Work It, complete with a brand new format that may or may not work out for us, please stay on the line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of Work It. Wow, Sam, they renewed us for a second season? Uh, kind of. We must be really popular. Yeah, maybe that's how it works, Janet. Well, how else would we get a second season? It's not like we just randomly declare that some episode marks a new season of Work It, right? See, the funny thing is, uh, we are just randomly declaring that this episode marks a new season of Work It. Oh. Do we still get to celebrate? Sure. With a raise? And maybe some cake? Yeah, raisin cake? I got something way better. We're gonna try out a brand new format. Oh. Will it still be funny? Who the hell knows? The show is mostly improvised now. Bye. Come on, folks, it's time for season two of Work It. Choo choo! Okay, now it's time for Janet's Science and Tech Report, the most reliable technology news roundup from someone who fears all technology. Sam, today I want to talk to you about virtual assistants. What do you mean by virtual assistants? Virtual assistants are those little cylindrical speakers that hear everything you do and react when you speak to them. So uh, Amazon's Alexa. Google Home. Google Home, Apple, Siri. Can you see yourself using one? I don't think so. I think it would probably feel pretty awkward to be talking out loud to some little box on my shelf. Like knowing that it's listening while you're having sex in the next room. Yeah, knowing it's listening if I had sex, if at some point I should be so fortuitous. So I just wanted to round up a few articles that are out there in the world discussing whether virtual assistants are nefarious. So the classic news story is the story of Amazon's Alexa randomly laughing unbidden. Have you heard about this, Sam? Ha 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 ha. That's very funny. I had not heard about that. So this went around the internet a few months ago. A number of people had their Alexa device in their homes and without saying anything, without even saying the word Alexa, which is supposed to be the thing that wakes it up, their Alexa would just start laughing. So you're saying that we should populate the uh, studio audience of Big Bang Theory with a series of Alexas, cut costs on laugh track. Exactly. So I, I put it to you that virtual assistants are, in fact, channels to the underworld and communicate with demons. I'd buy it. Heck, I would even put it to you that some of those demons are clearly manifest on Earth and executives of the company making Alexa. All right, so the next consideration when we're looking at virtual assistants is the possibility, the very real possibility, that virtual assistants are making people ruder. And I would like to know what you think about this, Sam. How would you talk to a virtual assistant? Well, I won't say this is how I would talk to it, but it certainly opens up that you can be very consequence-free. Totally. Um, I have a friend, this is purely anecdotal, I have a friend who says that her Alexa device is adjusting its behavior and its speech patterns from learning from her. 
So her Alexa basically is becoming sassier. That's wild. Yeah, these kind of uh, imprisoned engineers trying to uh, program <laughs> sassiness and program POVs. Uh, so the concern is that when people talk to virtual assistants, because they're not humans, and they don't have feelings, we don't feel the need to say please and thank you. And if we become too accustomed to this, then all of our interpersonal interactions will be like that. Does that sound plausible? If you can shout insults at a useless automaton, why wouldn't you? Like for instance, when you're on Twitter and you're interacting with Brett Stevens. At least virtual assistants won't email you and CC your boss. Not yet. Uh, so the final um, nefarious effect that virtual assistants are having in our lives. So according to Reuters, there is a phenomenon that has emerged in the UK, which is that fewer parents are naming their children Alexa. Very obviously, that's because of the device that is called Alexa. Counterpoint, I think it's because all British names are things like Griselda and Bumbledore. As a kid named Alexa, it would be very convenient if your parents were barking orders to you and then the robot in your home just took care of them for you. Exactly. And Alexa, the sort of the primary schooler, could just be in a hammock, smoking fat crons. I think, I guess that's the natural outcome. Or else, what seems to be happening, the death of the name Alexa. Yeah, exactly. Alexa genocide. And so we'll see, you know, names like... Lord Crumpet Snatch, take over, names like Alexa and Siri go away. Names like Google Home. Oh, my poor, my poor kid Google Home. Sam, virtual assistants seem to be everywhere, and yet we have no idea what impact they'll have on our lives. Yeah, I mean, how can we make this a sketch if we don't know how history will see these things? I know! Let's look at some of the ways that major historical events might have been different with a virtual assistant there. This will be instructive and not at all dumb. Washington, D.C., 1972. Woodward, why are you dragging me out to this sketchy parking garage? I thought we were going to topple the government! Shut up, Bernstein! I'm meeting someone here, a mysterious figure only known as Deep Throat. Hello. Yeah! What was that? Who's there? All I see is this small, innocuous speaker. Greetings, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. Whoa, 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 where's Deep Throat? I am the Deep Throat personal assistant device. How are you going to topple a government? Fetching sound files. Anti-Semitism is more stronger than we think, you know. Deep Throat? You've stored recordings of all Nixon's nefarious doings? Affirmative. Can I help with anything else? Yeah, hey, can you play Layla? We can love this song. Macedon, 356 BCE. Darling husband, look at our beautiful baby boy. Yes, someday he will rule not only Macedon, but the whole world. What shall we call the new prince, my dear Philip? Hmm. I shall call him Alexander. How can I help you? Oh, not you, Alexa. I mean my son, Alexander. Did you say Alexa-ander? No, the name Alexander. Searching Spanish footballer Ander Herrera. Confound it, machine. Oh, darling, it's no use. Surely there's another way. Hmm. 
I wonder. Thirty years later. All hail the Macedonian king, Schmalexander the Great. So this segment is a reading series, and Jan and I bashed our heads together, came up with the perfect name. We are calling this Some of Sam's Summaries. I wanted Samograms. What this is, is we're just going to look at some dingbat article, or maybe even some good book, and talk about it and riff on it and come up with sketches that emerge from the material. Disclaimer, only Sam has read any of this material. Today's article is from The Economist, and it's called What Companies Can Learn From Comedians. So Janet, did you know more and more students who are managers, marketers, and a host of other corporate types are taking comedy classes at the Second City? I am surprised to hear that, Sam. It is apparently to boost employees' soft skills. Okay, so what are the soft skills that we're talking about? There's like confidence, public speaking. Arrogance, overconfidence, uh, talking over women. Yeah, perfect. All the things that made me leave the comedy scene in the first place. Now, Second City apparently have worked with software companies in particular to develop engineers' socialization. But I really love that the companies that automate our lives are completely socially inept. Like, isn't that concerning? So I think we all assume that that is the case in the first place. So I guess it's heartening that they're actually trying to do something about it. I would suggest that introducing engineers to comedians isn't the best way to make them understand how normal people function. Oh, you don't think comedians and improvisers are among the most well-adjusted people you've ever had the fortune to encounter? If you want to teach an engineer to like humanity and relate to it, maybe they could talk to like school teachers, <laughs> librarians. People, oh, I don't know, at food banks and actually trying to make the world a better place. I'm just going to put this out there instead of the folks trying to trip over each other to make the best dick joke in the class. What are they going to get out of their comedy classes, do you think? Like, without cynicism. Well, according to the article, yes and improves lateral thinking. So I'm quoting here. Improv classes are supposed to be safe spaces for frank, even awkward conversations where people feel fewer inhibitions to say stupid things that may just yield something useful. Some employees, particularly in, say, tech companies, do need to feel that liberation to say what's on their mind and speak up. They do need that space. Uh, others maybe don't. Well, Janet, you'll be uh, pleased to know that companies from Motorola and McDonald's to Nike and Nissan, I quote, believe that sending executives to comedy classes can help them get better at their day jobs. So yes, the, the CEO of McDonald's is the one who needs to learn how to stand up and express himself. This is a safe space, Janet. Can you imagine if like the annual corporate pep rally involves like the executives doing an improv scene. And it's not just improv. Apparently Second City worked on a marketing campaign with Leggett and Pratt, a mattress spring company from Missouri. Now, I hadn't heard anything about this company before, so I just went ahead and brought up their glass door reviews. Uh, among the cons, apparently, quote, favoritism runs rampant with upper management. They will make sure you will not learn anything. Just <laughs> pretty severe. <laughs> Follow you around making sure you didn't learn anything, did you? <laughs> oh, here's one. Uh, cons. Reverse racism, anti-white and sexual discrimination. So that's a senior quality engineer uh, giving, I'm gonna say his perspective on some of the problems plaguing Leggett and Pratt, which makes me wonder what it must have been like to work with this person. <laughs>
Welcome staff of Leggett and Platt Mattress Springs. I'm Lauren and I'm here from Jubilant Marketing to work on your new ad campaign. Sounds good. Great. Let's do it. All right, let's start with some brainstorming. Now, when you think of Leggett and Platt, what words come to mind? Comfort. Mattresses. Nice dreams. Reverse racism. Shut up, Bill. Nap time. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can we go back one second? Mattresses? Uh, no, no, you you there with the troublingly red face and the goatee with mustard in it. What was that you said? When I think of Leggett and Platt, the words that come to mind are reverse racism. I see. Does anyone else feel that way? No, Bill's just a self-pitying old asshole. Yeah, total asshole. His cubicle smells like a gym bag farted. Oh, yeah, also an asshole. Big time. See what I mean? I'm being attacked for my words, my actions, my odor, my social media posts, and my mass emails in praise of phrenology. Classic racism. Well, let's put a pin in that for now. Someone said comfort. Oh, and anti-white and sexual discrimination. Come again? Leggett and Platt is guilty of anti-white and sexual discrimination against my words, my actions, my odor. Shut up, Bill. Yes, I see. Quick sidebar, do you folks not have an HR department here, or...? Well, you see, we did, but unfortunately they were in the warehouse and they tripped and landed on a pile of mattress springs and boing, right through the roof. I'm sorry to hear that. No matter, let's, uh, let's talk about your new commercial now. I'm picturing clouds, angels, choral music. We're in heaven. Two angels are jogging on a heavenly racetrack. One angel says, isn't paradise great? The other angel says, yeah, but tiring. Cut to the angels lying down on one of our mattresses. Voice over, Leggett and Platt, Mattress Springs Eternal. Wow, that's really great. Uh, anyone have any notes? Ooh, ooh! No one? We're all set? Ooh, pick me! Pick me! Men's rights! What is it, Bill? Just a couple notes. Pretty minor. All right, let's hear it. Open on a clan meeting. Uh, of course. A couple of clan members are monkeying around just having a great time. Tagline? Let me just butt in real quick. How long is your tagline? Oh, about 14 words, give or take. Right, 14 words. Could have guessed. So we've got a few uh, solid options here. I'll kick it up to management, but we'll probably go with the eternal spot. I'm not married to it. Open on a Proud Boys rally. No, Bill. Open on a Twitch streamer shouting every slur imaginable. I've even got some news slurs, too. No, Bill. Open on basically any subreddit. Sally, refresh my memory about your HR person. Oh, way ahead of you. Bill, I just saw an official Antifa meeting behind this big pile of mattress springs. I'll show them to stand up against FA! Anyway, so uh, this is a 410-word article saying pretty much literally nothing. And by the way, it ran in their print magazine. I don't know what sort of editorial controls they've got in place over there at The Economist. But this is, after all, the magazine as celebrated in articles like The Atlantic's The Economist is sorry about its not-all-slave-masters book review. Uh-oh. And the nation's The Economist has a slavery problem. Is this an ongoing problem that they have, Sam? They might need to clamp down a bit more on their writers. Well, okay, take the two reviews in question, both from 2014. There was slavery, not black and white. 
So uh, that review included the line, Unfortunately, the horror in Mr. Greg Grandin's history are unrelenting is, is a book without heroes. There are good people on both sides, aren't there? The review Blood Cotton included lines like, Mr. Edward Baptist has not written an objective history of slavery. Almost all the blacks in his book are victims, almost all the whites villains. This is not history, it is advocacy. My jaw hit the floor when you said that, Sam. So let's just say The Economist might have a problem with its reviews and analysis. That's centrism for you. Let's look into this. Why don't we take a look into The Economist's book club? Welcome to The Economist Book Club. Let's talk about tonight's books. First up, The Bombing of Hiroshima. I hated it. It focused on the 146,000 people who were killed, and I was just like, okay, but what about the good side? I mean, take the bomb. It probably had good intentions, but is it presented as such? No. You never hear about the bomb's feelings. Next up, History of the Black Plague. I hated it. It's all doom and gloom, but what about the number of people who didn't die in purulent heaps? Or how about the fact that the plague killed peasants in particular? Right? It cleared up overpopulation and reduced poverty, which is actually pretty heroic. Now our final book, entitled The Absolute Horror of Human Slavery, That Awful Thing That We All Agree Is Awful. I, I loved it. it. I saw myself in the characters, and it's great to be recognized. Only thing I'd change is the title, which frankly misses the point. Look, the heroes made a lot of money. No one I care about was harmed. All in all, a perfect story. A utopia. We at The Economist give slavery... Two, Two thumbs, thumbs up. up. Okay, Sam's quiz time. Quiz it up. Here's the thing. Uh, as everyone has noticed by now, Work It is going through some changes. We're trying out a new format. What happens if this doesn't work? Straight to the breadline. I know. Here's my train of thought. How is Workit going to find employment? I started out by checking uh, Craigslist and Kijiji. Found some promising leads there, including um, Easy Cash for Man. That's one for you, Sam. You could uh, sell your socks to somebody who wants to smell them. I was going to say I'm light on eggs, but I am a easy man money or whatever you said. Female Trivial Pursuit Player, etc. Turns out they're mostly interested in the etc. It occurs to me, though, that... We don't really have a direction, so I went to the Government of Canada job bank site, which has career planning quizzes, and I suggest that Workit take a job planning quiz. What do you think? I've got no certitude in my aptitude, and it's affecting my attitude. How about the find out how you think quiz? I'm ready. From a scale of doesn't describe you at all to describes you completely. One to five, we'll say. You feel comfortable and get positive reinforcement when dealing with language and words. Now, disclaimer, we are both classicists and had to learn Latin and Greek. But we both feel probably perpetually uncomfortable. I still hate myself and I left academia three years ago. Right. So we feel uncomfortable and love words, which means... One? Oh, I was going to say three. Sort of like a bit of this, but not that. Okay, I buy it. You like puns and other wordplay. Oh, God. <laughs> Just put it down. Our show's an abomination. <laughs> Take us out back and shoot us. You have a few close friends. I don't get it. Are we saying you have only a few close friends? Or like, hooray, you have a few close friends. 
Right, who is our uh, counterpoint? An incel or the most gregarious person on earth? Exactly, it could describe either. Well, I'm neither incel nor most gregarious person on earth, so I think I am perfectly five with both those weirdos <laughs> on either side of me. You prefer group activities rather than ones you do alone? It depends on the group. Like, if it's a bunch of strangers who are, sure. let's face it, likely dumb then one. Um, if it's like, a group of people of my choosing, such as doing this show with my buddy Sam, five. Sure. Uh, as much as I'm tempted to do the same joke, except say doing the podcast with Janet puts me at a one, uh, I give completely the same answer. Man, I set it up. You're supposed to get down. All right, let's get our results. Work it is visual spatial, musical, and bodily. <laughs> The government calls me bodily. Can, can we get a printout of that? that oh, that's the credit. I'm putting that on my LinkedIn. Certified bodily by the government of Canada. The right honorable Justin Trudeau. So I think what I get from this, especially the bodily outcome, frankly, is going back to Kijiji. Easy cash for men. <laughs> hey. Female trivial pursuit player, etc. Uh, you want me to do music or something visual-spatial, right? <laughs> Hello? Hey, big boy. I'm calling about your ad on Craigslist. Oh, you want to buy my Magic the Gathering collection. No, I'm calling about the female Trivial Pursuit player, etc. ad. Oh, that! P-lor be praised! Yeah, I love games, and I love, you know, etc. Okay, great. I'll just ask a few questions to see if you're the right fit. What are your qualifications? Well, I don't mean to brag, but the Government of Canada Job Bank describes me as bodily, so... Um, okay, but, like, what's your favorite topic? Topic? Ah, you know... History, science, biology. Oh, yeah, I love biology. I want to learn all about your biology. Mine's pop culture. Ooh. What color pie plate would you choose? Pie plate? I'd choose pink. Yummy. I'd pick yellow. Ooh, I... Um, so we're talking about actual Trivial Pursuit, aren't we? Affirmative! See, I was phoning more about the etc. part of your help wanted ad. Oh! Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, okay, let's see here. How do you feel about Mind Trap? The... the trivia game? Yeah, or Jeopardy. See, ultimately, I'm looking for someone to join my co-ed pub trivia game. Oh. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, I've got a master's degree in history and I'm fluent in five languages. Wowee! Yeah, really never thought that would be the stuff to get me a gig, but here we are. First time for everything, can you do an in-person interview? 
Sure. Anything I should do to prepare? Oh, no, no. Just grab some lube on the way. You're shaved, right? So one aspect of our new batch of shows is that we want to play a few more games. We want to get a bit more audience participation going here. So one of those games is called Instant Startup. And how this works is our listeners give us names of two celebrities and then we wrote some code that will randomly return the names of two of the celebrities. It will randomly return a sector and then Janet and I are going to pitch the startup with these celebrities in this sector. Does that make sense? I, I think that made sense. So Janet, I'm about to press the button that will tell us the name of two celebrities and a sector, and we will build a startup for those people, right? I'm super duper excited. Ooh, I've got just the thing. If I press the Q button. Your founders are Gord Downey and Margaret Atwood, suggested by Lori, and their startup is in the livestock sector. Livestock? So first of all, Janet, who does what? Who's the, you know, who runs the ship? Yeah, I feel like Margaret Atwood would be the brains behind the operation and Gord Downey would be the muscle. Oh, interesting. Elaborate. Uh, mainly because Margaret Atwood... <laughs> what is my reasoning? Margaret Atwood, who I mostly know as the author of Handmaid's Tale, seems like a forward-looking person looking to the future and anticipating what's to come. That's the sort of person you want holding the reins of your organization. Right. And as far as Gord Downey goes, muscle is what you're thinking? Yeah, muscle's maybe generous. Um, classic hoser type. Which actually, you know, with the livestock sector farming, I think, you know, we're starting to see some synergies, yeah. Plaid shirts, beers. Sure, but you can't operate heavy machinery at the livestock farm with beers, Oh, so. right. How drunk does Margaret Atwood get, do we think? She strikes me as a cocktail person. So do you think if we throw Peggy up on a tractor with a cocktail, and then put Gord out in the woodshed, you know, with like a six pack yeah. and an axe, Maybe in the slaughterhouse with a six pack and an axe. Maybe they're like doing a jam session on the the slaughterhouse floor. Yeah, you got the long hair guy. The gang's all there. He's got his like air pistol thingy. What song from the Tragically Hip do you think is most relevant to this scenario? I'm I'm leaning a little bit toward Wheat Kings. Wasn't there that one about the last time the Maple Leafs won a cup was the time that a cow disappeared or something? Bill Burrell cow? Is that anything? <laughs> Janet, is that anything? I had another cow joke. What was it now? Damn it, I've lost it. Oh, 50 Mission Cap. I was going to say 50 Mission Cow. Okay, cool. So I think we've got a sense of who does what around the farm, around the slaughterhouse, all that. Do we think anyone else works there? I mean, could they tap their networks and bring in some, hmm. some of their contacts? Ooh, I would love to see just like the royalty of Canlit. So maybe we get Margaret Lawrence there in the barn. Maybe we get Alice Monroe. She knows small towns. She seems like she'd be a good accountant, don't you think? Uh, and similarly, what about 90s can rock icons? I think you could have Sloan out there shoveling manure. I think maybe the odds could just be given some busy work. They're from Saskatchewan. I'll bet they like were raised on livestock farms. Don't underestimate them. Wait, are they from Saskatchewan? Odds are. No, they're not. I'm thinking Widemouth Mason. Okay, so we get a super group with the odds and Widemouth Mason. They're in charge of milk. <laughs> and preserves. Mm-hmm. Blue Rodeo. Okay. 
Their name fits. Yeah. So we'll have Jim Cuddy. He'll be in charge of Cud. <laughs> and then we'll have all the rest of Blue Rodeo. Holding a rodeo. Awesome. So last off, what is Gord Downey and Margaret Atwood's livestock startup called? Um, I'm going to propose either Trouble at the Hen House or Ahead by a Hatchery. I don't like the word trouble in a brand name. That sort of sends the wrong message. Hmm. I think that Margaret Atwood and Gordon Downey's company in the livestock sector is called Ahead by a Hatchery. They specialize in eggs, the tragically hip, play in the hen house. They sing sad songs as they slaughter chickens, as Margaret Atwood administers the feed. Your thoughts. Agreed. Perfect. Thank you, Lori. Enjoy your new startup. Don't come crying to us when it goes belly up. Thank you to Lori for suggesting Gord Downey and Margaret Atwood. There it is, folks. Episode 28 in the can. Hope our new format was as effortless to listen to as it was for us to produce. A's for effort all around. Let us know what you think. Follow us at at WorkItPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. Five stars for effort all around. For real, though, and not for fake like the rest of this horseshit, please do give us a follow. Yeah, we want to keep doing games and questionnaires and all sorts of fun things involving audience participation. And you can't spell audience participation without an A, a U, a D. I think they get it. See you next week, folks. Coming ahead. Two more A's. Do you love listening to CFMU, but don't know how to express that love? Radio may be an older invention, but that doesn't mean it's stuck in the past. Instead of yelling into the void, I like your show! You can just tweet us or any of our shows under their own hashtag using hashtag CFMU underscore show name. Go give us a shout.